The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present, and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Retail Therapy, a podcast proudly brought to you by American Express. The ARA is Australia's largest and oldest retail association, representing around 7,500 independent national and international members. Each episode, I'll be chatting with a leader in Australia's retail industry right here in the Amex Lounge, including the CEOs of some of the biggest retailers in Australia and across the globe. We'll be finding out what makes them tick, what defines their leadership style, and how they got to the top of their game. So join me for some retail therapy as we ask these questions and more and navigate our way through the retail industry, Australia's largest private sector employer. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Joining me for some retail therapy in the Amex Lounge is Alexi Boyd, the CEO of COSBOA, the Council of Small Business Organisations Australia. Alexi has over 20 years' experience working with small and family businesses in addition to running her own bookkeeping practice, where she's supported countless small and micro businesses in their journeys. I'm delighted to have Alexi with me today to talk the challenges of small business, what they're facing, as well as the opportunities that lie ahead in the new normal of living with COVID. Alexi, welcome. Hi, Paul. Small businesses are the lifeblood of so many communities. They employ over 4.7 million people, representing 41% of the total business workforce. The media sometimes like to focus on the big end of town, but small businesses really are the key to Australia's economic success, aren't they? Oh, you're absolutely right. And it's funny you should mention communities because that's what small businesses are all about and uh, the way that they position themselves in communities, the role that they play, the importance with not only the economic development of a community, but really providing the fabric um, of what communities are all about. I mean, I mean, hands up out there, anyone listening who's had their first job at a small business. And of course, you don't just learn about that job, but you learn about how to operate a small business and you, you, you pick up some business acumen yourself as well. And not to mention that small business people are the lifeblood of a community with through community sports and the support they do for the local schools. So it's really important that through all of this that uh, that we're going through and can continue to go through that we recognise the importance that small businesses play, are placed in in terms of the community spirit. Well, given all your time in small business, I, I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because one of the, the revelations I've had, I, I guess small business people are really um, able to multitask and do so many things at once. In fact, there's no choice, right? Because if you're in a small business, you don't have an HR department, you don't have a finance department. You, you've got to be across all of those cross-functional type um, uh work and roles. Do do you find that a lot that often small business owners are actually forced to become the master of so many things? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's the wearer of many hats. And uh, and what's been so interesting is, is to see small businesses grow in this new way of working. You think about remote working and changing your management style to develop relationships with your team if they're not on site. And then how does it work with the, the changing uh, nature of sales from being perhaps just a bricks and mortar face-to-face business and now you're doing online sales in this globalised world. So it's not just about the different hats that they've always had to wear, but the way that they evolve 
involved, they're thinking, they're quick to learn, they're quick to pick up things. And because they're the the sole decision makers, they're quick to make changes and and maybe bad and good decisions in their business and make, make, uh, make changes as need basis as quick as they can. So, so it's not really a job for the faint-hearted, is it? I guess you've got to be able to be stoic enough to roll with the punches. Uh, exactly. Uh, stoic and also, um, you know, sometimes fearless as well and uh, sometimes a little bit naive, I think. In, in, you know, I think a lot of us who run small businesses would look back on our experience over the last few years and say, would I have really done it if I'd known about mm. the lows? But you definitely would do it if you know about the highs. I mean, the ability to be autonomous, uh, set your own hours, have that if you need it ability to be there for your family. But at the same time, it's grinding hard work. The buck stops with you. There's those awful feelings when you stuff up and you know that it's your responsibility and and you've got workers to to look after as well. So um, it definitely is the highs and the lows of running a business. Oh, you certainly raised some good points there. Um, look, I've got an interesting stat for you, Lexi. It'd be interesting what you think about this, but there were figures released by the ABS showing the number of small businesses has actually increased since the start of the pandemic. So I found this quite astonishing, a jump of 15.2% over the last financial year. Now, is that surprising as a stat for you, given the economic uncertainty that so many of us have been living with? Yeah, look, I've been asked this by a few different people, and and my response has been, the devil's in the detail. If you told me that those uh, new business registrations were falling in, say, tourism or uh, restaurants and catering, for example, I'd be quite remarkably surprised because they've been hit so hard. But if you told me that they were happening in ICT, for example, then my response would be, well, in the IT sector, people have been able to be working flexibly. They recognise that they're really valued and more of them are setting up their own businesses so that they can be consultants. So I think it depends which sector of the small business economy we're talking about. And you can't just um, use that as a singular figure to show economic uh, stability or even economic growth. It, you know, economic growth in the small business world is so many different factors, yes. and this is just one of them. But to us, it doesn't point to anything in particular unless we were breaking it down by sectors. That's a good point. We need to know the categories, don't we? Because we're probably going to find that it's in line with um, what's been successful during the pandemic as opposed to what hasn't been successful. So That's right. And one yeah. of the things, you know, in your wheelhouse as well is that they were talking about more um, more people being employed in, uh, in restaurants and, and in hospitality. Yes. Okay, that makes sense to say you could say that they're all growing. We know that they're not. But what that could also be is that more people are being employed by their family businesses because they've lost work elsewhere. So, again, it's that really granular information that you need to be able to digest this information. Well, equally, the pandemic spelled the end of many small businesses, I guess, and we've sort of just slightly touched on that. Is there anything that could have been done that wasn't done to keep businesses afloat during the lockdowns and restrictions? Well, I think it's really important that we look at this situation that we've just lived through and look and really unpack um, the high, what's been positive and negative about the different support measures, what could have been done differently, how the approach could have been done differently. Because let's face it, um, it may not be another pandemic of this scale that we see will impact small businesses. But if we talk about the impacts of globalisation and the effects of the environmental disaster we find ourselves in, there are going to be other crises that hit not just one singular business segment, but across the board. So we need to learn from what has been done well and done poorly um, so that in future we can quickly and efficiently uh, put up the measures and the support measures that small businesses need to survive so that yes. those that are viable and that um, had a successful business to begin with um, can uh, can retain that business and don't end up in the toilet. 
So, Alexi, I know you have lots of conversations with small business owners. You're doing that every day. In the conversations you have with small business owners, what are they telling you in terms of the challenges and the barriers maybe around uh, that's blocking them for success? Generally, I think um, it's the, uh, the the opportunities and the and the weaknesses of having a globalized uh, um, environment. We find ourselves in like competition is really important to small business that we have a level playing field, but also that it's fair and equitable. So I think that there needs to be an evolving conversation with legislators and regulators around providing a system where small businesses who can essentially compete for the same goods and services that a multinational giant can but are doing so in a fair and equitable environment. So I think um, competition needs to be examined long-term to make sure that it's fair. I think making sure that um, small businesses are not taken advantage of because because they are individual and because Mm. one-on-one they might not have a lot of buying power. That's another thing that needs to be factored in. And just making it as simple as possible to run a business. I mean, Again, if you'd had the conversation with yourself a few years prior and you knew about all the obligations and the complexity around hiring and firing individuals or what your requirements were with work health and safety, I think that there's a lot of stuff to, to be said about that. So, Alexi, you would, there's a lot of bureaucracy and red tape still around. And what's when you think about small business, that's really hard. We know major companies struggle with it and they've got whole departments to deal with it. But when you get to a small business owner, how do they deal with all of that? Um, you know, if you take the general retail award, something in my world, it's like it's, it's over 50 pages. Like how does a small business owner get their head around that? It's a really good question. And I would say that, you know, if you take a look at the big businesses out there who keep stuffing it up as well, um, it's fair enough to say that it's pretty inequitable that small businesses have to do all of this themselves. Like you said, they don't have an HR department. They don't have a lawyer on tap. It's quite expensive to engage with these people who are important to have in your, in your, um, as wingmen, but not necessarily something you've always got access to. So keeping it as simple as possible to run a business, report, uh, which is always very onerous on what your, um, you know, your BAS reports, for example, yes. uh, keeping it simple with hiring and firing employees, workers' comp, um, all of the legalities around the things that you sell and being uh, correct if, you, if you're working with consumers. So it is quite complex, but that's not to say that it shouldn't um, encourage people to go into business. We just want to make sure it doesn't stifle innovation. So we need those protections in place to make sure everybody's you know, living in a safe and fair and equitable world, that's very important. But at the same time, we need to sort of foster the ability for people to start businesses and make it as easy for them as possible. Absolutely. And what does, do you think, COVID normal looks like for small business? We know it's not an immediate snapback to the way things were. That's what we're seeing currently. And CBD businesses have had to face a really long road back. If you've got a crystal ball, what is it showing you? Look, I think... I think COVID normal looks like um, a recognition that this will be with us uh, for years to come, um, that there needs to be a melding of health requirements, which is something small businesses have never had to deal with, and also the, the runnings of a small business. But it's really important that governments give us the framework in which to operate. So as many of those decisions that make this an onerous task are taken away from that small business person. Things around refusing entry to those who are vaccinated or unvaccinated Mm. or, you know, working out whether or not you employ someone. See, long term, we have to think about rebuilding our workforce. It's not just about the conversations around mandating vaccines now, but actually those workers who are coming. How do those conversations work? So whatever the government can do to provide a framework, not necessarily a you must, but if you meet 
these and you tick these off the list and, and you do this due diligence that yes. you can be assured you're not going to find yourself in court. Mm. Really, really good points there. I, I guess what I'd be keen to hear from you around is that if you – how has the landscape changed for small business over the years? I know in my world there's been a lot of focus on digital trends and innovation. I'm assuming that goes across all of industry and the importance has been very much on running an omni-channel business. How is the landscape different now for small business, say, compared to five or ten years ago? Yeah, look, that adaptability really kicks in when you talk about digitisation because small businesses have recognised that being a part of a global economy means you can access new markets, you can quickly switch on new um, services or products that you haven't done previously and you may be able to access the goods that you need to produce what you need to produce. All of that accessibility is really positive. Um, but what it's meant is that because small businesses don't have that IT department, they don't yes. have the salespeople who are experts at selling online, uh, it's been about the transition from not only the products and services they provide but also the workforce that they engage with. And I think that's one of the difficulties is realising that I need to not employ for what my business was like two years ago but what my business will look like in the next five to ten years. And I think that's where the, the skills gap knowledge is for small businesses. How do I employ thinking about what my business looks like yes. in the future? Really good points there. Can a small business, do you think, um, without be successful today without a digital offering to capture sales or just to, to run their business? Or is it now a must-have for any business to be successful? Oh, it's like asking any questions about small businesses. Every single one of them is so unique and specialised yes. and interesting and different. It's certainly not a one-size-fits-all when it comes to digitisation. There are absolutely things that cannot be done by a computer, massage therapist, for example, uh, or, or, you know, someone who specialises in an allied health provision that has to be hands-on. There's a really good example of a small business that probably couldn't digitise but there are aspects of your business that you can digitise and that you should make more efficient your finances, your sales, uh, the way that you interact with your clients online, your social media marketing. Those aspects of digitisation are important to embrace, uh, but certainly uh, the need to suddenly everything become available online and all of us to be selling our goods and services through the intraweb is not something that means that we're all going to become this homogenised big business system. Every small business is very different and needs to engage with their customers on a one-on-one -on -one basis as well. If you took the massage therapy example um, as an example, you're right, obviously that can't be offered online, but, the, but there's an expectation by customers that they'll be able to book and cancel their appointment, do a scheduling, et cetera. So I guess customer expectations, even on those sort of administrative tasks, you know, most of us would not want to be hanging on a phone waiting or leaving a voicemail to have that return. So it sort of impacts everybody. But you, what you're saying is it really is by degrees, isn't it? So there's an expectation to be in certain industries to be fully um, available digitally, but others have a component of their what they're doing digitally. Yeah, like you said, it's about that what's the client-facing thing you can do to get your customers to you as easily and efficiently and it's what's possible, their expectations. Yeah. yeah, so you've got to do your research, maybe find out what your competitors are doing, definitely talk to your professional association and say, what's best practice in my field? What software can I implement easily that plugs in neatly with what it is that I do to make it as easy as possible? There's there's the beauty of digitisation. What are the, some of the small business success stories and examples of small businesses that have led the way of embraced new and innovative ways of doing business that others could follow, that people listening on this podcast today may say, well, that's a really good sort of um, insight for me to be able to follow? 
Look, I think I always go back to, and it's it's a classic pivot story, sorry to use that overused word, <laughs> but I always think of Stage Kings. You know, here was an event company that was um, producing structures and uh, scaffolding and um, uh, like frameworks and things for the, uh, the event and, and uh, theatre industry and for um, performances. And their business was gone overnight, completely dried up because, of course, events and, and performances dried up themselves. So what they did is they sat down as a team, went, right, well, what are we good at apart from this? What have you done previously? Mm. What, what, what have you, where have you worked in the past? And they actually came up with this um, remote working, uh, it was a, it's something you could self-construct as a, as a consumer. Wow. It got delivered easily and their business skyrocketed. That's I mean, an amazing think- story. It's great. And I think they, um, I think they quadrupled their workforce in a matter of months. They became this huge pivoting success story. And it was because they digitized fast. They got the product out there quickly. But importantly, they tapped into, uh, the strengths of their existing workforce. So I think maybe a takeaway from that for small businesses is always have a chat to your workers and have a chat to the people around you and see ways that you can do things differently and collaborate. Doesn't mean you have to change things overnight like they did, but you can evolve in that way. That's an amazing story. It's almost like that saying comes to mind, you know, the, the, is it the, the need is the master of all in, in, in invention or the master of invention because people in a crisis don't waste it, try and use it to think of new and um, it forces innovation um, and it gives you a need to make changes. And um, that's a really good example of that happening. And that's where small business is, 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 has its strength. We're not some giant, you know, juggernaut that is so slow to move and evolve and yes. change and, you know, it takes 15 people to approve one web page. That's where um, the strength of small business lies. So, again, going back to what you were saying before, it's about taking those risks, recognising your strengths of you and, and your workforce and then actually making the decisions quickly um, and being prepared to take those risks to do it. Well, that's great. Uh, look, I, I want to um, talk a little bit about Cosboa, but I specifically want to ask you first, Alexi, just around because um, you're a newly appointed CEO, um, and it's nice to have you um, as a you know on the Zoom calls. We're meeting with government and doing all the media that you're doing. I'd just be keen to hear your story and how you got involved in Cosboa. Yeah, sure. It's a, it's as I mentioned, it's a plucked from obscurity moment. That's for sure. My background is as a BAS agent, so for ten years I've run my own bookkeeping practice. Been very passionate about small and micro businesses. And when you when you're operating in that financial advice space, you are wearing a lot of the hats that your small businesses yeah. and don't across wear. across many industries. I would take it as well as a result. Yeah, exactly. And you need to know about HR and you need to be able to give them advice and where point them in the right direction and find the government websites that they need. So you really do end up answering a lot of those questions. And those questions came to me and, and I didn't know the answers. So I decided to set up my own radio show on community radio where I got in experts to answer the questions that my clients were asking me. And so eight years later, that turned into a bit of an advocacy piece for me. I I became very um, passionate about giving small business a voice in that community radio space, but also making it educational because I also used to be a teacher. So it's so important to, um, you know, make sure it's easy to unpack, it's practical. And I always said if people can walk away with two or three to-dos from every show and they can implement it in their business, then then that was a value. And then I guess uh, from that and being in the small business media landscape and floating around the Cosboa family, um, it was just a matter of being in the right place at the right time um, and just having a chat again, having a chat with people and building those relationships that it seemed like a a good time um, to move into that advocacy role in Canberra. Absolutely. And I guess even just thinking about as you're explaining this, um, what's been interesting, Alexi, is that all of those previous jobs really have prepared you well 
for this role because you know being uh being in radio that's prepared you obviously dealing in the media but equally as a teacher that's you know most of what you're doing with small business educating businesses on actually the right thing you know the best way to save money but equally how to drive their business so uh, mitigate risk so really good um cv there yeah it was one of those life moments where you you turn around and go, oh, well, I remember when I did this yes, and that yes. fed into that information. I had this job at uni and, and I, you know, I had this experience and I was even thinking to myself, I had a, a moment pop up in on the, the facey bookie place uh, that um, <laughs> I don't like giving them extra advertising opportunities, uh-huh. but it popped up and said three years ago, I was standing in front of council and I was yelling at them about something, probably about trees because I'm a bit of an environmentalist. And I got shut down and I got absolutely slammed down by one of the councillors quite aggressively, actually. And I kind of walked away a little bit beaten (laughs) and a little bit downtrodden, but sort of wrote in there, no, I just need to keep strong, keep to my morals, keep to my objectives. And and one day my time will come. And that popped up in my phone the other day. And I went, oh, look at that. It's just about being patient. (laughs) That's amazing. So so you got the outcome that you're looking for? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. A- oh, with the council? No. Yes. Yes. No, oh, you didn't. didn't. Okay. Well, no. I thought that was going to be the morals of the story, but no. but, but regardless, be patient. Um, be patient. Fair enough. Yeah. That's that's a really good point. We'll <laughs> we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, I wanted to now talk about Cosboa and um, what are some of the things that you you're you're doing to support and advocate the best interests of small business, and is there any key areas you're con- currently working or focusing on? Yeah, look, what I've noticed about COSBOA, because we're in that Canberra-centric community and it's all about policy that's happening at a federal level, what I've learned is there's not a single piece of policy that that small business doesn't comfortably sit in. So it's really important that all the advocacy bodies out there are across all these different engagement points, talking to politicians about lots of different things because, you know, small business even has um, has a thing to say about migration, has a things to say about payments um, and electronic payment services. Yeah. Plus we can talk about, you know, implementation of software. We can talk even about health because that's where we're living at the moment with, with COVID. So I think um, it's important that these groups are well-resourced and, and well-funded for the purposes of being able to be across all these different pieces of legislation. And, and it's really important that, that those groups that advocate for such important issues are strengthened and have the opportunity to have a voice in as many, in many places as possible. Yeah, really um, good points there. Um, the, the other um, area I'd like to get your opinion on, Alexi, is that we know that consumers are becoming more values-driven and want business to reflect the values and issues that are important to them, things like sustainability, climate change, diversity. What's, what are some of the things that small business can be doing in that regard, do you think? Well, have a talk to your community. Use that CRM that you're working on to find out what your customers actually want from you as a business. And don't be afraid to ask. And I think one of the things that you learn if you're comfortable in that idea of running a business and getting advice is that everybody is happy to sit down with you over a cup of coffee at the local small business, local Mm. small business cafe, and, and tell you what they think of your idea. And that's the same for your loyal customers as well, because they want, they want to hear from you. They want to be part of the journey. That's what they love about small businesses. So really those engaging with them, we all know about that with social media and being genuine, authentic and all that stuff, but also asking the questions and use them as a resource. And like I said, use your workers as a resource about new things that you can do as well. Because I think um, those values will evolve and they'll change. And, you know, the global pandemic is a great way to flip those on their head. 
but there will also be things that are that are pertinent and there'll be things that are pertinent to different groups that you're trying to target as well. So learning about that, them is really important so that you can make sure you're catering your goods and services for that, for that market. So take time to con- take time to consult is really important. Be patient is the other point. Um, and I guess, um, you know, that um, often the resources are there looking you in the face and so you just don't take the time to think about asking somebody's view, which is often, you know, most people will give you the time for free. Like they're going to, they're, they're, people are generally, it's very rare that you, someone says, no, I'm not prepared to help you. Um, mm. So um, there's a lot of support, I guess, if you if you seek it. And tap into what happens in your local small business community. I think sometimes we can sort of be a bit heads down, bums up and not really notice what's happening around us. Um, And don't be afraid. Don't think that everybody who's, you know, the the same um, sector as you, the other grocery store or, you know, the other accountant unnecessarily yes. competition work together because there's quite a lot of work that can be done at the local level in terms of advocacy, in terms of making small business flourish in your area. Get, get into that advocacy space. Consider yourself a small business leader because I think a lot of people out there are really proud of what they do. And what they don't realise is that simply by being proud of what you do is is you being in a leadership role and you've got yes. the opportunity to mentor others and make a difference. And that's what I'd like to see um, as part of where advocacy sits is it bringing it back down to these grassroots levels, reminding politicians and reminding big business at the local level how important we are. And then without us, we're going to end up with this homogenised, cut and paste local street from one suburb to the next, which is not what anybody wants. No, no sense of community. And on that note, Lexi Boyd, thank you so much for joining us in the Amex Lounge. Thank you for being so generous with your insights and um, joining us here for Retail Therapy. Congratulations on all the work you're doing at Cosboa and all the best for the future. Thanks, Paul. It's been a delight. Thank you. I'm pleased to be joined in the Amex Lounge by Suji Sanjeevan, co-founder of Light & Glow Designs. Suji and her husband Jeeva are both doctors who turn their minds to alchemy. Their whole range of award-winning luxury soy candles and scents are handcrafted in Melbourne. Light & Glow's carefully blended premium fragrances don't just smell amazing, but help you to relax, refresh, revitalise and reignite your senses. Suji, thanks for joining us. You and your husband Jeeva were both practising doctors before you founded Light & Glow, where you started out selling your products at market stalls. Your vision from day one has been to be well-known locally and globally. Now that the borders have reopened, do you have any business expansion plans and how do you see Amex supporting you on this journey? Sure. First of all, thanks for having me, Paul. Um, Yes, now that the borders are open, it really opens up opportunities for Light & Glow. Over the past few years, we've been really focused on growing nationally and American Express have been fundamental in um, gaining that exposure for us. But with international ports, for example, Asia and Europe and US are on the card, so we can meet people face-to-face, and I think that face-to-face contact really um, makes a difference. So the American Express Shop Small campaign that happened back in 2019 really was fundamental for us growing nationally and that exposure to consumers, and we really have leveraged off that and hope that that will help us in our global expansion. Suji, thanks so much for joining us in the Amex Lounge. Sounds like a really exciting time for you and Light and Glow. All the best for your future success. Thank you. Thanks for joining us in the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. 
Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes. I can't wait to talk retail therapy with Australia's retail leaders and share these conversations with you, the future leaders, business owners, and innovators of the industry.